0: So welcome to this episode of the Value Prop Show, which is brought to you by the Pacific Basin Economic Council. Each month, we invite business leaders, academics and entrepreneurs to come on the show and share their background, observations, experience and ask them to predict what lies ahead in their chosen fields of expertise. You can catch up on all of our past episodes by going to our website, www.pbec.org.au. Or through our official spotify apple Podcasts, and other several mediums as desired some of our episodes are also available via our official youtube channel so just search for pbac we're delighted today to be looking and talking about latin america once again and uh we felt it was it was timely again because of some of the um things that are happening in certain countries Uh, but also just to understand to see you know with 2023. We're now in 2023. What is the outlook for the region and certain countries are going to do better than others and why? What are the underlying reasons for that? So I'm delighted to be joined today by one of our um, great supporters at PBEC from the region who always uh, informs us, keeps us up to date. And I'm delighted he can share with the public today. And that's Professor Ibodo Kalteneka, who's uh, living in Mexico, but originally from Brazil, as I understand. So he'll tell us now, if I may, hand over the mic to him to tell us a little bit more about himself before we go into a nice uh, dialogue together. So over to you, Professor.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for the invitation and for this splendid work you're doing at, at uh, um, uh, <clears throat> um My name is Evoje Koltenecker. I have this dual career. I was, I'm a former executive. I worked for... For better or worse, I worked for large companies, and then uh, a, a few years ago, uh, I started to think about moving to academic life. I remember in my I reread my application to to HBS uh, for my MBA program. I wrote that piece of paper uh, twenty years ago, and um, there there was a note that at some point I would transition to academic life. Okay, so that thing happened uh, and uh, after my PhD, I received this job offer for this university, private university in Mexico. So here we are.
0: That's wonderful. And uh, <laughs> so how long have you been now based out of Mexico? Obviously traveling before COVID a lot, I'm, I'm sure in the region, but how, how long would you call Mexico as your home? so far yeah uh,
1: as a home since 2018 in my previous life i have the, the opportunity to visit mexico and many other countries in latin america as a, as an executive many 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 times but as home uh, 2018
0: and how would you just before we go into the depths i mean just mm-hmm. interested to know how did you witness manage the whole initial fear the unknowing of when COVID first broke in the world and then taking us through to um, I guess the latter part of 2021 when things started to become more clear with the vaccinations what was that like for you living in another country that's not necessarily your uh, original home how did Mexico cope with that for the likes of yourself living there
1: Yes, Uh, I think uh, looking uh, in in perspective, it was an incremental process. In the beginning, we stayed at home like everyone else to see what's what's going to happen, to understand uh, the danger of the virus, and then little by little, we tried to understand and to manage Uh, the different ways uh, and I saw different countries uh, dealing with different ways in the beginning in Scandinavia less affair and it's going to nothing is going to happen and if you look at Argentina it's very strict lockdown so in our personally speaking we stayed here (coughs) until I guess April or May 2020 when when perceived that the kind of very strong lockdown would happen, we took a flight. Uh, it was the last flight. We, we flew to the United States and then to Brazil. Was the last flight to from US to Brazil. <clears throat> and then uh, the jets were shut down uh, right after our flight. We stayed at the working online like the rest of the world. I managed to come to Mexico uh, in August. <clears throat> Because we thought at that time that uh, <coughs> that the institutions and society will, will open up again very soon. So my family stayed in Brazil. I flew in August, flew back to Mexico, stayed here until December when I realized that uh, <coughs> my family would not come anytime soon. I flew back to Brazil, stayed there until I guess August two thousand twenty-one. Then I flew again alone. A few months later, my family uh, joined me, and since since that time, we're having uh, taking the the measures, necessary measures, masks, and vaccination. And nowadays, I see like I hardly see people wearing masks, uh, for instance, in Brazil. So I was in in Europe uh, two weeks ago. And same thing there. So uh, in only one flight, mask or uh, mandatory. And other than that, no one wearing masks.
0: Okay. Well, that's, uh, we're jealous. Uh, Here in Hong Kong, we still have the mask mandate. It's probably the last thing to go. And even when it does, (coughs) I have a feeling it's ingrained now into how people... um, go about their business, because to be fair, I mean, it's kept even the flu, the normal typical flu uh, season to a very minimal level, it's funny enough. So there can be, you know, the skeptics out there, but I do think uh, the cautiousness of Asia society typically, um, there will be this ongoing mask wearing voluntarily, I believe. Um, Okay. So we'll see how that works, because, you know, we've seen foreign com- uh, countries and it's become political politicized as as we know over the years but um again recently with china reopening there's uh you know there is always a potential for that ignorant part of society that you know use it as an excuse to pick on certain sectors or minorities when it's when they're in their own country so hopefully that doesn't uh go on too long or or it's too damaging but coming back to latin america obviously we've seen okay. not i guess it, you could argue it's it's a a consequence of a pandemic such as covid for this ongoing political instability that we've seen okay. not just in latin america but you know europe my own country in the uk is not a great shining example but um it does mean you know we've got to tackle all of these Issues, which is basically paying for COVID, uh, mm-hmm. quite quickly now as things reopen, a lot of com- governments find themselves uh, in huge debt. They need to uh, start bringing that down and addressing it. We've seen inflation, and as you know, you know the U.S. dollar kind of either helps or hinders some of these policies. You're kind of Achilles' heel, if you like, um, if you're tied to the dollar quite uh, literally, like a lot of Latin American. Um, economies are so it'd be Mm -hmm. interesting to get your points of view of how Mexico is going about it or even Brazil if you're keeping up to date on that especially with the latest sort of uh, social unrest if you like Um, Mm -hmm. you know it hit the headlines globally for Brazil uh, which is obviously worrying um, but yeah, I mean, you're there. What are your thoughts, initial thoughts on those uh, recent episodes, including Peru, if you may want to touch upon it? Thanks. Okay, sure. So let's start with Brazil.
1: Clearly, the raid on the Congress and other public buildings—it's unacceptable under any circumstances. Okay, um, but we think we need to understand this phenomenon uh, through different lenses. Okay, first, what is happening in Brazil, and a, a foreign. Foreign press is not mentioning much that, okay? First is the uh, the guys from the left, the, the right wing, from, from the political view, they complain, okay? We may agree or disagree, but their comment is that the release of Lula by the Supreme Court on the very, very questionable arguments, okay? And uh, on, on, on top of that, and this is, it's sad, it's interesting, but sad. We do not read that much in the foreign press. Brazil is under severe censorship, okay? Uh, Opponents of Lula, they have been, those guys, they have been uh, journalists and politicians, and they have have had their social accounts shut down. Some journalists are being fined. Even journalists that traditionally had a a leftist point of view, okay? They are mentioning this. If you look at the uh, Glenn Greenwald, and uh, he, he mentioned it, the New York Times article of September twenty sixth, mentioning okay that once one one, uh, one member of the Brazilian Supreme Court, it's issuing uh, restrictions on a daily basis. Okay, and if you leak, if you understand what's happening in Brazil since September 20th, Twenty-six. Uh, the situation got worse. So this is, uh, I, I guess, there are the root causes of uh, of uh, what we saw in Brazil uh, two weekends ago. Okay, I'm not saying right or wrong, but I think uh, as an analyst, the reasons for that. Okay, <clears throat> we understand that that rate really has similarities with what happened in the U.S. Capitol on January six, two thousand twenty-two. Okay. But what we see in Brazil is censorship. We didn't see that in the US. Those guys should go to jail. Okay. But we need to understand the root causes of that. And there are some discussions that, well, this is Latin America, right? So even the past is uncertain. Some some supporters of Bolsonaro says that they say that there are people infiltrated from the left in those raids. So it's hard for us to understand but this is this is what happened in brazil very sad guys should should be punished but the context is that after the after uh, lula da silva's election we see we saw things that happened only during the dictation dictatorships in the 60s censorship okay in this case it is very uncommon from the supreme court this is they're the defendants of the constitution, right? Anyway, so this is my take on Brazil. In Peru, it's a little bit of the op- it's also is the op- is is different. Okay. The protesters are demanding the resignation of Bolo Duarte, the, the former vice president. Okay. They they uh, and the protesters require changes in the constitution. Uh, the former president Castillo's release, okay, and justice for the protesters, protesters that were killed uh, in the in the clashes with police, okay. So in in, the, in Brazil was the right wing supporters doing the raids, and in Brazil left wing supporters, okay. And on top of that, in 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 Peru there is a, a nuance here, okay. <clears throat> The protesters are mostly from um rural rural areas from the countryside. Okay. So the divide in Peru is the countryside versus uh, the big city guys. Okay, it's not the traditional left to right wing. Okay. Yeah. Back to Brazil. Back to well, Brazil. I mean, before uh, before you
0: leave Peru, I mean there was um I mean not that long but you know at our annual dialogues uh we were hearing from our friends uh from peru and there seemed to be besides obviously this brewing political turmoil that could be happening um that there was opportunities for direct foreign investment you know to really address the chronic mm-hmm. infrastructure requirements mm-hmm. to upgrade um and move beyond just sort of that typical tourism uh, mm-hmm. income uh, economy for the for the many cultural sites that, that Peru is famous for uh, including upgrading the educational system schools things like that I mean with all of this going on has that all stopped then like everything has just ground to a halt in terms of the economic benefit side that was being planned mm-hmm. uh, is it hard to get anything done while this is all going on
1: well, th- th- there are different types of investors. Okay, some investors—they, it, it, it's hard to understand. They took a while for me to understand. But some investors—they prefer companies with high political risks. Okay, specifically, they're looking for that, specifically because you know, uh, it's it's uh, the instability. The instability is good for them. In, in some sense, because you know, if they manage to get access to the ruling party or the the ruling president, uh, it's easier than going through like a lengthy bureaucratic red tape process. So some investors, they 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 look for this kind of not like uh, they're not looking for civil wars. I'm not saying that, but they look for countries with institutional voids. Okay. So okay. it, there are these those type of investors exist. Back to uh, you mentioned uh, you mentioned infrastructure projects. There are some uh, good uh, you can read good research that specifically infrastructure, there is no direct link between uh, countries with good uh, legal framework or and a strong legal framework and weak legal framework, okay? Uh, um, uh, an economic liberal, uh, someone in the liberal side of the economy like me, we tend to think, okay, investors prefer countries stable, it's very easy to understand the rule, uh, implementation is great, but we see great research say, look same, making it clear that specifically in infrastructure sometimes there's no major effect of so the, the, the expression I use institutional voids. Some investors they look for institutional voids, okay. So, to your point about uh infrastructure, yes, we see a trend. Some if you can, we can go to Mexico, for instance, Brazil again, in Mexico. Relevant recipients of FDI, in the case of Mexico, it's still the country is still receiving large sums of investment, okay? But not necessarily because the government is improving the business. The current government is improving the business scenario. Mexico receives uh, FDI because of things the country cannot control. It's the proximity to the United States, participation of USMCA, okay, access to, to, to the Atlantic and the Pacific, okay. So uh, Mexico is going to receive investments, but not necessarily because of the homework. They're not doing the homework as we expect, okay, uh, and as we project it. But yes, the country is still receiving. Back to, back to South America specifically, uh, the lithium triangle, Okay.
0: Yeah. Chilean. Three countries
1: that three countries that uh, they they possess the large amounts of lithium reserves. They are not necessarily the the most stable country in the world, but people.
0: Uh, <laughs> so, who, who would be the other two countries after Chile with lithium large reserves? Is it Chile, Argentina, and Bolivia?
1: Okay. No. Considered the largest ones,
0: and is China active in all three?
1: <laughs> it, it, yes, uh, it, yes. China has, uh, in, from since like two decades, since the since the early 2000s, Ch- China has this uh, resource seeking strategy, right? Investing in countries to access, not. Uh, uh rare earth minerals okay but iron and and oil so chinese investing in infrastructure in latin america in africa until uh, one of the places i teach is angola so when i left when i was living in brazil and i we traveled to Rwanda. so in in the airplane it's me a few other two or three other brazilian guys two or three other uh, executives from angola and the rest are workers chinese workers
0: yeah In yeah we used to manage um, we used to manage a fleet of aircraft out of hong kong for an angolian uh, chinese mining firm so they, they were doing a lot of mining extracting uh, <laughs> i guess iron ore and others, other other uh, um commodities back to china but um do you think the reason for China seeing Latin America as a, a friendly area to do trade with has anything to do with sort of its social uh, social outlook, if you like. You know, the political side of most Latin American economies at the moment anyway seems to be led by more um, the left, the more social mm-hmm. socialist uh Um, governments does that play well to China I mean but when we look at the trade numbers it it hasn't necessarily I mean it's significant but not really significant compared to the US by uh, because of the fact that US is on its doorstep Latin America's economy so but do you see um, with all that's going on geopolitically over the last couple of years do you see an attitude Changing at all between in policies that Latin America pivot back to being more friendly with America and and sticking to that part of the world rather than engaging and, and getting deeper relations I, I, with Asia. Well, you don't see that. Yeah. No, I I do see, but there are changes of gray here. Okay, so
1: except Mexico, China is the uh, the main trading partner. The main trade partner of Mexico is the United States. Needless yeah. to say. Except Mexico, China is the main trade partner of all other countries in in Latin America. Okay, and it happened at two, uh, and it has been happening since the 2000s. Right? Yeah. But China, China faced problems with, for instance, uh, Venezuela defaulted some loans to China right, Argentina as well. So China is, yes, is uh, putting their hands on Latin America, not necessarily is changing, not because necessarily uh, they want to put a communist party there, okay. Uh, In the case of four countries in Central America, uh, those four countries changed their minds regarding Taiwan, the independence of Taiwan. But other than those four, uh, China is, is more has been more uh, looking for resources. Okay, specifically in Brazil, China Chinese FDI. Uh, uh, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> a, a bit of water. Chinese FDI targets infrastructure companies in, in in energy, for instance, uh, and telecom.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, Huawei so, is strong there?
1: And so, uh, <clears throat> there was a lot of noise, no pun intended, but a lot of noise because Huawei and 5G in Brazil under Bolsonaro, okay? At the end of the day, uh, <clears throat> the auction, the licenses went to someone else, okay? But uh, Huawei is not that strong. So, but they they uh, they bought uh, telecom operat- a few telecom operators and energy companies, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I we do not see a major shift under Lula da Silva. Okay, uh, most of the exports are from Brazil are from private companies. So I do not see a mandate from neither from when Bolsonaro was president and now under Lula. Uh, saying, OK, let's buy and sell more to and from China. No, it's more from the private sector. Who is taking advantage? The agro sector in Brazil is really, really strong and totally on the on private hands. No involvement from the state, the Brazilian government, for instance.
0: So do you see uh, any of the more recent trade agreements like RCEP and uh, CPTPP, which obviously U.S. pulled out of a few years ago, um, there was also talk at the recent APEC summit of bringing out, well, I think they brought back to the table a discussion. It's going to take many years, but what happens next after these major trade agreements are uh, up and running? Could there be an Asia-Pacific free trade agreement, um, which would be all encompassing of some Latin America economies as well? But that is uh, very much just a discussion stage early very early stages even figuring out who could take that forward uh t- 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 tends to be australia with uh, one or two other economies that are looking to um you know sort of at least get to a point where it could have some kind of framework that could be discussed but that's we're talking multi-year uh negotiations or even just discussions before that could go anywhere but my point is i guess are those existing trade agreements like RCEP and CPTPP something that, that Latin America economies and even businesses are seeking, or is it um, very much still focused on the US, North America trade agreement with Mexico, for instance, and um, more so, I guess, blocks of countries coming together like the Pacific Alliance uh, mm-hmm. to sort of have um, better negotiation Uh, and leverage when it comes to engaging with China in particular or other larger economies. How do you see that, and do you see the private sector caring about these trade agreements? Because from where I sit sometimes I feel it's only benefiting a few who actually understand how to benefit from these trade agreements in the first place, it doesn't filter down to SMEs. Yeah, yeah, I don't,
1: it's a tough question. I have some data that we explain that the private sector is not like deeply involved. They have, a, they send representatives to the meetings, but at some point is government with government level discussion. Yeah. Okay. And then they try, the private sector, when they see a sort of momentum, they try to influence and may flex this, their muscles to approve a topic that will improve their own business but it's not a great agent of changes uh, yeah. uh, in not only Mercosur, but also for the Pacific alliances, okay? Uh, talking about PA, um, it's a kind of, well, uh, we, we, do, we must admit that some advances it. okay? Significant process in some areas. So they eliminate some import tariffs. tariffs. <clears throat> they reduce uh, visa requirement for member countries integration of stock exchanges but the the key thing for a trade block is to improve trade right and it's not happening yet it's it's uh, it's it's kind of Pacific Alliance is taking the thought-wise route not the hair okay so yeah. they managed some they manage something but the key thing didn't happen yet in my very personal opinion well professional opinion right I think improvement of Pacific life in terms of improving trades among, the, among the, uh, <clears throat> uh, the countries, the member countries will go through uh, those deals with European Union and, <clears throat> and uh, USMCA, okay? So neither Mercosur nor the Pacific Alliance alone they will uh, improve trade between the countries, okay? I think they they may work together, looking at those uh, large markets and, okay? But between the countries, it's not going to help. I do not think it's happening much, okay? Mm. So it's- And uh, has Ecuador- the, It's discussions is and blah, blah, blah. On,
0: is there a timeline on the Ecuador being admitted to PA?
1: We expect 2023. Okay. Uh, second half two, uh, 2023, but not only Brazil, but Latin America in general. Even the past is uncertain. Okay, so we expect 2023. Ecuador, yes. <clears throat> uh, negotiations are advanced. Okay, but if you look at what happened to Costa Rica, like maybe 15 years ago, it was about to become a member, and then the a new president came and said said bad things. So, Ecuador, I would bet with you, Mike, my friends, a glass of wine or beer, <laughs> 2023. Okay? Okay. Other uh, candidates, they sign a deal with Singapore. They, I mean, uh, Pacific Alliance, a trade deal with Singapore. It's an achievement.
0: Let's wait and see. Okay? Yeah, I was going to mention that. I mean, obviously, Singapore are quite opportunist, <laughs> opportunist when they do things. Um uh, you know, they've in some ways had Hong Kong's breakfast, lunch and dinner of late, uh, mm-hmm. but there's enough going on in the Pacific for uh, Hong Kong's revival, for a better word, because uh, they need to go out. I mean, you know, sitting here in Hong Kong, there's this urgency now for letting people know in the international mar- uh, inter- international markets that Hong Kong is open for business, is uh, looking to attract uh, companies again, and and to be fair, um, Thomas Wong, who sits on our board, uh, is very active in talking with and uh, with his clients from Brazil and Mexico for those companies wanting to uh, export to the Chinese market through Hong Kong. Uh, and he see he sees you know increasing demand for that, you know, in Spanish speaking countries and Portuguese speaking countries to have some trusted partners in Hong Kong that can navigate the regulation and uh, distribution channels into the greater Bay area, which is just North of Hong Kong. Um, but saying that, yeah, it's interesting that Singapore obviously is engaging with a block. Um, I think that's to export some of their own, uh, technologies and, uh, know how in particular, you know, um, in energy and also in water, I think water in particular, Singapore has been one of the leaders to have, uh, the the salitation uh, mm. uh, oh not factory it's a factory I guess uh or production mm-hmm. power, power station um converting salt water into drinking water and I guess with uh, Mexico in particular and others who are surrounded by water um mm-hmm. that might be of interest for them to try and uh, export but yeah coming back to um Latin America again how how is the Peso and the Brazilian currency performing Mm -hmm. uh, at the start of this year. Has it been volatile due to the political uncertainties, or the currencies have held their own against the dollar? And and, yes, so let's
1: start with Mexican peso. Surprisingly, uh, Mexico peso has been uh, has shown a uh, has been strong. We expected a weakening of Mexican peso. Okay. There are some reasons for that. So uh, we think we have here in Mexico an active, very active Mexican central bank interest uh, that increased interest rates because the counterpart in the US, uh, Federal Reserve, also increased uh, uh, interest rates. Okay. So an active active, uh, central bank exports, oil exports. Okay, Uh, It's a... Ukraine-Russian war and the European Union ban on Russian oil, so improved Mexico, Mexico exports, so we have two reasons for these uh, overvalued, I guess, Mexican peso, right? One internal and another external. Brazil has been very volatile, but for political reasons, okay? A very tough presidential race and then Lula da Silva uh, initial comments not business friendly uh his cabinet he the people he, uh, he appointed to the to his cabinet not not necess- people expected uh, people he expected a better cabinet and people with a better mentality so remember Lula had uh, like uh, was president twice yeah okay so Lula first first administration was from uh from a was solid regarding fiscal policy and monetary policy. Okay. So it's it it's uh it's fair to say that Lula one uh was kind of unexpectedly pro-business okay lula two maybe not that much and then lula Sussex or Dilma Rousseff uh with this wrong mentality of the 60s is not the the state and the private sector is the state versus the private sector. So it looks like LULA 3 will be close to DILMA Dilma 1. Okay. Strong interference uh, of the government in the economy, the use of uh, state-owned enterprises, state-owned banks. So it's... It's a deviation from Lula one, Lula one, right? Lula first turn. not necessarily business friendly. Okay, so so there's this uh, pass through the crisis It's passing through the political sector to the to the economic sector. So Brasilia is influencing São Paulo, namely I mean, São Paulo being the business city. Okay, so bottom line solid peso uh weakness of brazilian real
0: okay and does that affect does that feed into economies surrounding those two major economies like argentina that you mentioned earlier chile because obviously they're serving when it comes to exports quite different uh mm-hmm. products i mean you mentioned oil mm-hmm. exports there for mexico i mean agri big big time in brazil and wood and things <laughs> like that but With uh, the other three you mentioned, Chile, um, Bolivia, uh, and um, who was the third? wrote it down. Bolivia and uh, Chile, Argentina, Bolivia. They all have large deposits of either, well, lithium is the big one, which everybody Mm -hmm. needs right now. Um, And there was obviously in the press as well that China was... Reengage, not reengaging, but sort of had secured some uh, agreements with Argentina again over over investments. I'm just wondering, you know, any comment on those economies, or it will be more of the same in 2023 for those three? Well. Uh- Brazil is the largest, uh, Brazil alone,
1: if you consider all Latin America from Mexico to Argentina, Brazil is close to one third of total GDP. So mm. what happens to Brazil will impact other economies, smaller economies in the region. Okay. So a very limited growth in Brazilian economy will impact negatively other other countries in the region. Okay, <clears throat> so this is something to to be seen. So just like in the United States and, and, and Mexico, right? So if you if the gringos are doing well, the Mexicans are happy, and the United States economy is doing is not that good, so Mexican economy will suffer. This effect, uh, it's not uh, compared to Brazil and other countries in South America. Uh, we can say that there's there is a reflection of what happens U.S. Mexico Brazil and other countries. So uh, smaller countries they 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 cheer for Brazilian economic success and Brazilian economic growth. So they cheer for GDP growth in Brazil, right? Uh, regarding how these, uh, generally speaking, Brazil as a commodity spot in economy, uh, 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 strengthen the dollar okay, Uh, or a weekend real, And high commodity prices in general is good for the Brazilian economy or for Latin American economy in general, okay? So some specific sectors that depend on imports. So for instance, machinery that depends on imports of parts from other countries, they tend to suffer with a strong US dollar, okay? Because the part of the imports will become more expensive, right? But generally speaking, the uh, strongest dollar is good for the economies of the region. Why? Because they export commodities.
0: Sure. So, yeah. I mean, before I let you uh, go today, I wanted to touch upon some of uh, the sector or even the, I guess, the population that we sense have suffered, I mean, depending on your perception, but we could say have suffered the most during COVID, and that's the youth coming through because a lot of their education was disrupted, you know, with online learning, um, this, the social experiment in terms of, uh, being confined at home and things like that have kind of forced this acceleration, if you like, of engagement via social means rather than face to face. There seems to be this habit now of a generation when they want to communicate, they just, uh, SMS each other or do a voice, recording rather than uh, meeting each other. It's kind of strange, but um, I don't think it's everywhere, but I'm just wondering from a Latin America perspective, I know it's hard to generalize, but are you seeing problems that need to be addressed by governments, including uh, Lulu, who's now in his third time uh, as president. I mean, how does he engage? How does he appeal to the youth? Is it environmental, the fact that he's promising to save the rainforest? What, what is it that you know connects the youth? Is it is it the promise of new employment, new opportunities?
1: Well, there's some someone said once that when you're young, you're leftist because you have a heart. When you get older, you are more market oriented because you have a brain, right? So there is idea that you, when you are young, you still do not have to pay the bills. You really believe in a world without the differences of people. So people tend to be uh, uh, more, idealistic. more idealistic and then to be more leftist than the average of the population. Okay, so in this sense, maybe yes, but not a Lula specifically, okay? Uh, so, yes, he has a strong support from from the youngsters, yes, this is true, but I would say in any other country, not only in Latin America, but in the world, maybe, okay, a few exceptions maybe, but in general, the younger you are, the more, you, more idealistic you are, okay, specifically about COVID, and now I'm talking as a teacher and also as a parent, okay, COVID, COVID broke a few paradigms. First is that oh, we cannot teach online. No, we can teach online. The second paradigm is that the quality is the same. It's not the same. Clearly not. Okay. And as a parent and as a teacher, right? And, <clears throat> and the younger the audience is, the worse the quality of dedication you deliver online. Right? So I teach executive education Uh, It's not clearly not the same, but it's manageable. I can teach if I have an adult on the other side of my computer screen, okay? Uh, With teenagers and below, it's really, really, really tough, right? Specifically of Latin America, how it's coping uh, with education. Clearly, uh, education, again, we have like a few exceptions. We have in the region, very few great universities, oh, very few great universities of research institutions, but across the board, unfortunately in Latin America, I would say that education is an area of improvement, right? And uh, and again, uh, with a few exceptions, I do not see a major improvement in the educational systems in the, in, in the countries in the region. Okay. And again, we have one research institution that's doing fine. Another school of engineering in a certain university uh, <clears throat> and some, but across the board, there are, there are areas of opportunities. Okay. What I see, this is interesting. I didn't have this <clears throat> this idea. Uh, what I see is that I work for a private university, top quality in Mexico, okay? Uh, some people say there are three the best private universities in Mexico. One of them I work for, right? And I see people from, for instance, Guatemala, uh, Bolivia, <laughs> Colombia, Venezuela, coming to Mexico to study in one of those three universities. For them, it's an upgrade, Okay and the Mexican elites, when they can do that, they go to the United States, yeah, okay? So we see that, so based on where you are and uh, how deep your pocket is, you go elsewhere in the region to improve. Sometimes you go to another country in the region, Mexico is the case for the Spanish-speaking countries, okay? So I would say that, yes, to, it's a very broad and long answer, sorry, Mike, but I, I think that uh, education can be improved in, in, in the region, okay? Uh, discussions on how, what has to be done, okay? Yes, there are discussions, but, you know, still to be seen. Improvement is still to be seen. So one of my research is the impact of COVID in uh, countries, companies, and people. One of the consequences is that COVID increased their asymmetries. Rich countries recovered sooner than average and poor countries. Recovered sooner because of the COVID. So GDP contraction, but the, the richer country, the richest countries improved sooner than the rest of, of the bulk. Right? Same thing for companies. So, High tech communication, large companies improved sooner than mid-sized companies. Same thing for the richest parts of the countries, the southeast of Brazil, the richest regions in the, the richest, richest region in, in Brazil, same thing for Monterrey, Guadalajara, and Carretero in Mexico, they improved faster than the poor regions. So COVID increased the symmetries. Okay. <clears throat> Uh, also in the educational sector, we see uh, in a matter of, for instance, in a matter of weeks, a couple of weeks, many universities and the private some some of the good universities, they start online, they move it the switch it very fast to online education, okay? And they look and they look for uh, state-owned universities and state-owned schools, Took for them longer to provide us any sort of of uh, courses and classes.
0: Yeah, no, that, so, that was similar in in Asia. The poor Asian countries, like even Philippines, you know, there's no physical school for two years, for nearly so. Um, and it took maybe six to nine months of the first year before they were actually you know uh resources provided to have you know regular communication <laughs> with teachers um so yeah i agree with that statement um i guess um, my final question is you know from uh, only basically from people that you teach do you see there's been a uh, a mental effect for a generation like are they mentally affected by this are they more resilient yeah. or are they more <laughs> uh snowflakes <laughs>
1: I I love the expression snowflakes very (laughs) very interesting I think uh, the the newer generations they tend to be more more fluffy okay you know hard times develop strong people good times develop weak people okay and COVID arrived and and uh, and back to the symmetry. Stronger people recovered sooner, not physically but mentally. Okay, so I guess <clears throat> to your point regarding um, mental health, I'm clear I'm clearly not the best person you can talk to. Okay, <laughs> but I know, but I I I expect. Let me put it in a very nice way. Okay. I I expect I cannot say that mental issues will happen, will occur more in Latin America. It's, it's hard for me to say. It's not my, my area. But what I can see is that <clears throat> changes the habits of, of the newer generations, the way they talk. And I have two teenagers at home. Okay. And they suffered a lot in the beginning. Okay. And I talked to other parents and they we tend to kind of complain about the same thing. So uh, the the students got stressed, they sometimes they cried out of the blue, out of nothing, and then because we are social animals and we we are some people say we uh, lockdowns were too strict, too much strict, okay, then it should be anyway, but we are social animals. Okay, and youngsters and newer generations suffered more uh, than
0: older generations. We need I social interactions the way we are wired. And I guess my last question, which normally we should avoid the subject, but I wanted to ask because Latin America historically has been one that's of faith uh, in things. I would argue: has religion and religion group religious groups benefited? From COVID. I mean, I found congregations increasing in recent, you know, in the last six months or so here in Asia, where people are going back to church in greater numbers, people are rediscovering re- their faith. Um do you see that as a phenomenon in Latin America?
1: Hard to say in general, Latin America in general, but I uh, but but I agree that the beginning of the covid reminded us how how fragile life is mm. okay and some people said well they had extra time at home <clears throat> so they said uh, some people took advantage of the extra time and because of fear they they tried to relink to um, to the big men up there, okay?
0: Yeah, no, I think it was a, a common phemo- phenomenon for those, if you like, were brought up as kids, uh, whether it's Catholic faith, Christian faith, uh, or you know, I can name others, Muslim faith, but then lost their way during the fast and furious years of career building and earning the money. And you know the consumer, the consumer mindset, if you like, for always bettering yourself. And then I think uh, COVID, in some ways, for some people anyway, uh, reminded them that there's more to life, and uh, and sort of we're missing something.
1: My comment, and this is I, don't, I do not want to be involved in any individual issues. My comment sure. is that per se is not a bad thing. Okay, I think. Uh, In the same way that people start to exercise more.
0: Yeah, yeah. Healthy brain, healthy body is always uh, makes you more resilient. Yeah. What else could come?
1: Yeah. And this extra tension of or pressure of being locked at home, people said, I need to do something else. Okay. So some people improve the houses, some people uh, build a new office or an office. Uh, at home, uh, bought new furniture, changed habits, and I think it's a great idea to think about religion as uh, a tool to help people to deal with pressure.
0: So, uh, overall, for 2023, you're bullish, pessimistic, um, indifferent in terms of, mm. I guess, wh- when you talk about it, Mexico and Brazil in particular. <clears throat>
1: For Mexico, I'm, um, I would say, I'm more on the bullish side. Okay, compare it to Brazil. I think Brazil yeah. will have a rough year. Okay, uh, new president was elected. The country is really divided. Many questions about uh, uh, about the legitimacy of his election, okay? I think Lula Lula da Silva started with, uh, as we say in Portuguese, with the left foot, okay? Uh, His cabinet is clearly not uh, three notches below what people expected, right? Uh, Regarding fiscal policy and equality, and I think he didn't start in a great way is a pragmatic, he may change, he changed his mind a few times, okay, but Brazil is going to be rough, okay, it's hard to say uh, one year in December 2023, I, I I prefer to hedge my opinion and say the next three months will be tough for Brazil. For Mexico, given the things that Mexico government didn't do much, but it was what happened Closed a very large US market, <clears throat> preferential access to US market, low labor cost. It's a uh, logistic heavens, access to two oceans. Okay. Uh, I, I'm more bullish about Mexico than Brazil. Brazil, wait and see, is going to be tough.
0: Okay. You heard it here. So thank you so much, uh, Professor Ivodo. And uh, we'll leave it there for now. But so, Thanks for joining everybody uh, listening in, and uh, look out for our next episode on all good uh, platforms where you can gather our podcasts. So for now, take care and goodbye.
1: The Value Prop Show is brought to you by PVEC, the Pacific Basin Economic Council. Your co hosts are Miguel Avoitas and Michael Walsh from PVEC. You can follow us and subscribe on our LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter. Thanks for watching and listening, and see you in the next episode.